Hey, what's going on? It's Justin Sarachik, editor of rapzilla.com, and you are watching MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Sports fans rejoice. You're listening to My Team, My Voice with MTMV Sports. For a quiet time with God, I really want to talk about God wants to be your best friend. It's important to spend time with God. Really spend time with him. Talk to him. Tell him about your problems and your struggles. Because there's a real devil out there who wants to kill you, destroy you, and take away all your joy. He wants to take everything you have. But you have a God who is bigger and badder than any devil. He can defeat your demons. He can soothe your fears. And he can take away all your worries. You just, you just have to let him in. Let God take control of your life. And, you know, I really have a problem with trying to control every aspect of my life and, you know, letting go of anxiety and depression. But it's not like I don't want to deal with it, but I decide to let God help me deal with it. And I also remember an important scripture, and it says in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about these things, and you will have a better outlook on life. And when I have negative thoughts and when I feel like isolating myself, I run to God and I run to the people around me who really care for me and want what's best for me. And I know that God's love never ends. It's like a waterfall that never dries up. His love is everlasting. And so meditating on these scriptures every day gives me hope for my future and helps me press on to another day. And I hope that it will help you too. So I just want to end it with this. Stay brave. Stay bold. And stay balling. Peace. For mental health check-in today, I really want to talk about stop comparing yourself to others. And I say this because we are made in God's image. It's a glorious image. And he's powerful. He's unique. He is amazing, kind, loving, pure. And we all have those qualities in us because God created us. And so... I believe that we need to know that we are valuable because we are unique and we're one of a kind and no soul is alike. I feel like we're like snowflakes. All of us are special and all of us are made to give glory to God in different ways. When we compare ourselves, we think about the worst parts of ourselves and we try to compare the worst parts of ourselves to the best parts of of our of other people that we see on social media and online. And that's not realistic. It's very unhealthy and toxic. So it's impossible to be like someone else because we're not meant to be like everyone else. And it's best to become better versions of ourselves. You know, it takes humility to love every flaw we have, to accept ourselves for who we are, and to really work on ourselves, put in the work to really grow. And, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. I struggle with comparing myself to others. You know, I feel that it kills my creativity and also kills my drive to do something bigger than myself. So I'm really slowly learning that no one can be better than me. You know, I have purpose. I was put on this earth in my heart, I believe, that I was put on this earth to bring glory to God, to help people with their mental health, and to bring people to Christ. So the devil loves to attack your mind because if he can do that, he can stop you from doing the amazing things God wants you to do. So protect your mind. Know that you are perfect just the way you are and don't let people who are struggling to figure out who they are define who you are. Don't let people people's harsh words, create your identity. Don't accept them as truth. There's no need to compare yourself to anyone because there will never be another you. So those are my words of encouragement and inspiration for you. 
and hope that it really helps you with your mental health. And I just want to leave it with this. Stay brave, stay bold, and stay balling. Peace. What's up, my ballers? For Baller of the Week, it goes to Kawhi Leonard. It's because of Game 6 against the Dallas Mavericks. He redeemed himself in Game 6 because he was playing basically like Superman on both sides of the ball. He guarded Luka Doncic like a boss. It was just a feat in itself to slow down Luka. He got him frustrated and got him out of his element. And also he was a great facilitator and leader for the Clippers and he took control of the game. He proved the naysayers wrong. He shut down all the hate from Twitter, you know, about the air ball in game five. And he played his heart out and came out with a win. And he also inspired his other teammates to step up their game. Reggie Jackson, he set the tone for the first quarter and the whole game he had 26 points. So that really set the tone for that win. Also, he kept the Clippers from being eliminated. And now they have a chance at the finals. And I just love how he kept his composure in high-pressure situations. And, you know, he led the offense. And he had 28 points by the end of that game. So that is why Kawhi Leonard is MVP in my book and also Baller of the Week. So I just want to leave it with this. Stay brave, stay bold, and stay balling. Peace. What's up, my ballers? My name is Keisha Swafford, and I'm here with Morgan Tarpley. Her pen name is M.L. Tarpley, and she's an author of two children's books and a nonfiction book. And one of the children's books I've read myself is mainly in the maze and is of like the travel of the Travel Girl series. Is that correct, Miss Morgan? Yep. Tales of a Travel Girl. Tales yep. of a Travel Girl. I love, um, enjoyed the book thoroughly and I just wanted to really know who she, who the author is, you know, how Morgan is. And, you know, I really wanted to, you know, get inside her head and, you know, she's a published author. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, a lot of authors, a lot of writers are trying to figure out how to publish. So <laughs> it's good to, you know, see, talk to someone that's already been there. So the first question I want to ask you, um, I know Maylee, she's not the only world traveler, um, I know that you've traveled to 14 countries, which is incredible. Um, what is the most exciting place you've traveled to and why? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I've, yeah, I really, I mean, the, the memories you have from every country is really special, but I think one that stands out to me a whole lot is when I went to Egypt. Oh, wow. That was yeah. like, since I was a kid, um, I was always looking at maps and globes and I loved Egyptology as a kid so I was like learning about the pharaohs and the mummification process and archaeologists and stuff and so when one of my friends was living in Cairo when I was in college I was like why would I not go see her on spring break (laughs) so I went on spring break for two weeks to go see my friend in Cairo and we traveled around Egypt I saw the Great Pyramids I got to ride a camel in front of the Great Pyramids I got to go inside the Great Pyramid wow that's Um, incredible I know it doesn't really feel real still like in my head it's like did I do that I mean it's been a while now but it was a really cool experience and being with someone that lives there too um so it was neat to see her daily life like interacting with people that are that were Egyptian like local real locals and uh, natives and like you know just it was cool traveling around and hearing Arabic spoken and she actually spoke fluent Arabic. She was there wow. learning Arabic. So it was really cool to see my friend um, who's from Louisiana speak Arabic. So it was just really, it was really a dream country trip. And like I said, I'm still painting myself. Like I really went there. Oh um, man, I need to go there. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. We went, then we went uh, to Luxor and to the Valley of the Kings and I went inside King Tut's tomb and saw the actual tomb which was wow. really cool. And then, and back in Cairo, I went to the Cairo Museum and we actually saw uh, King Tut's like treasures, his gold funeral mask and everything and the and mummies. Mm. And it just felt like I was in like a movie, like the mummy, obviously like the mummy movie. I was kind of, you know, I was, I was eyeing those mummies like, hmm, but that was my writer's imagination. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah. Like, I hmm, like I was like, yeah, I know oh. I do too. <laughs> I do too. That's a good movie. <laughs> 
yeah it's it's the writer's imagination you know I was like hmm but that was really cool trip and all my trips inspire my writing for sure um like Maylee obviously you know with the Maylee books with the first one Maylee in the Maze which is the first in the series as you mentioned it is set in England I've been to England um, several times which is just amazing I really love England we have been to different parts of the country and um, the part that the book is really featured in is um, south of London in a in a place called Kent in a castle called Leeds Castle and Leeds Castle is just really amazing. I mean, it's a almost thousand-year-old castle, still standing, has a moat, has um, beautiful grounds, and has a maze. And I don't know about you, but something about a maze just makes you feel intrigued. You know, like yeah, a maze. Ooh, you know. So when I heard they had a maze, a hedge maze, actually, like I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. So then you go through the maze, which is cool enough, but wait, there's more. So in the middle of the maze there's like this little observation tower like made out of this fake stone it's it's kind of um raised up well people that have already made it quote through the maze and go up on that tower they're trying to help the poor ones of us who are lost in the maze like go right go left and you really don't know if they're helping you or not yeah they could <laughs> so, be messing with you no, they totally could you have to kind of like but you're you're desperate enough like fine i'll go left oh you know but anyway when you get to that tower at when you finally are wanting to go down you go down into like this little like cave and it's called a grotto and it's actually a cave a man-made cave underneath the maze and these type of things were really popular I think especially back in like the 1800s the Victorian era um, they were made on these big estates they would have these mazes it was all for entertainment and for leisure and stuff like that and pleasure and then they do these little caves that were just adding these little little bit of whimsy or intrigue to their estates so the cave is like you're walking into like this Atlantis like underwater world and there's like these monsters and things and I I was so inspired I mean how would you not be inspired going to this castle and the maze and the grotto and it was just beautiful and so from that I was just like I don't know I don't really know uh it was just like the maze and I was like I want to write a book about the maze and maybe okay what about the Leeds Castle maze and what if I wrote a series of books that actually um brought kids all around the world that places that I've actually been to and that way I can relive some of the memories I have but also talk from a first-hand experience of going to these places that is incredible I, I can't I really want to go to England like I'm so honestly. glad I yeah, heard like, the book you yeah you got to experience Leeds Castle it's really yes. there there's really amazing grotto just like Maylie was in and in the back of the book if, like you saw I actually have an educational section where it tells you the real history and the facts about the castle and the maze and that's yes. I mean and it shows pictures of me actually there getting lost that in is, the maze <laughs> I saw that I saw that that was incredible yeah I and I okay, I sorry go ahead. we actually went there <laughs> yeah I know and that's kind of and it was just so cool um to be able to go I haven't been back since but I, I do I really want to go back and I want to take my family to go see oh, it yeah definitely that's a family trip to go on and and they've it? expanded they now have like these cool tents they're like look like medieval tents like you can go glamping like glamorous camping oh okay <laughs> yeah it's like these fancy looking old medieval tents that are different colors and they're like you can you can stay in them there's like a four-poster bed in it and like luxurious fabrics you feel like you're a king or a queen how cool is that that is incredibly cool I know so when I go back I'll be staying in one of those yes (laughs) that would be so cool oh yeah my my imagination was of course you know like yes (laughs) yes <laughs> yes mainly didn't get to experience and that part <laughs> no she didn't uh but it's, it's okay there's so much to experience that I couldn't write about it all so I was like I'll have to leave the rest to when people actually go there themselves right that, that would encourage them to go yeah definitely and if you can't tell I'm pretty much a, a kid at heart like I just I feel like there's still a 10 year old inside of me <laughs> hey that's the best that's you know writers <laughs> you know use your imagination like a you know like a young kid I think yeah you know yeah as an an author myself you know I always am you know I feel like I'm a kid myself (laughs) hey it's okay I mean there's a part of you that I feel like should always be young at heart a kid and be able to see things from a kid's perspective and you know and have fun and have some fun and be silly sometimes and when you have kids too it's easier sometimes to do that um which which is which is weird because I was so already already kid at heart and now I have kid he's three 
so it's been interesting oh. to like be able to play with him and kind of see the world through his eyes you know again but uh yeah so I think too tapping into that 10 year old voice of Maylee came easier for me which is funny to say because I'm definitely a long way from 10 um but I read some of my diaries that I wrote when I was 10 or 11 which is hilarious honestly yeah. And so I, I, when I before I re- wrote Maylee in the Maze, I like read those diaries so I could really tap into my ten-year-old, eleven-year-old voice as a kid and the things that I was concerned with. Because it doesn't matter how much time passes, the things we're still concerned about overall, um, which are usually emotion-based, we're still dealing with those things and mental health as well. That goes in mental health, like fear and belonging and uncertainty and trust, like all those emotions and things, especially on that in-between age, you're not a little kid and you're not a teenager yet. So you're just stuck in the middle. So I have a real heart for that age group because there's so many defining, I think, decisions and moments in that, in that gap from about eight to 11 years old. And if you remember back when you were that age, some of the things that you, you know, some of the ways you might have been discouraged or encouraged by people in your life or just classmates that may have not been very kind or even teachers, you know, or some adults. And some of the things that negativity that we hear at that age group, I feel that really sticks with us and it can really do a lot of harm, especially right then. I mean, you can do harm, harm any, any age we are. We know that, but I feel like it's really pivotal then. So I really want to encourage kids to be positive and to find the good in their situations but more than that too to follow their dreams and to know that even if it doesn't feel like they have the resources to follow their dreams just to keep going for it because my dream was to be an author when I was eight years old but it took a very long time for me to be that but I still accomplished my dream so it doesn't matter how long it takes you know yeah like um you know when I was nine um I wrote my first story like about fairies at war Oh, and, I love um, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I won an award for it. Like, uh, one of wow. the best, uh, like, you know, stories in Louisiana and, um, you know, I got a medal and a certificate and, you know, I was really like, that's what, that's that was awesome. the moment. Yeah. That was the moment I was like, yeah, Man, I could really do this for a what, living. <laughs> and wasn't it so encouraging? You're like, yes. Hey, yeah. When yeah. I was, um, about nine or 10, um, I, I won an essay contest, but I also won a photography contest. And I always loved writing and photography along with like world geography and stuff. And, and so I didn't know how I was going to use that when I get, got older, but I did go to school in journalism and I also um, am a photographer. That's so, awesome. I'm, yeah, so in my job, I work for a local newspaper and I'm a reporter and photographer. So I'm actually doing that for my career. Go ahead. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's I went to, uh, I graduated from LSUA. Uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, a communications degree, um, you know, but, you know, I wanted to be a journalist, which, you know, I'm doing that now. I'm still like a sports freelancer, um, yeah. but I always wanted to be an author. That's, that was the main goal, you know, since I was like five. <laughs> so with, you know, but, you know, going into high school, I changed that because, you know, I got discouraged, you know, I started losing my self-confidence and not, you know, being secure because, you know, I got bullied a lot in school mm-hmm. and, you know, I just, you know, I didn't have that, you know, same confidence I had when I was 10, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and and that's, and that's hard because I think too, like people that have dreams and they're so strong, other kids, whether it's middle school or high school, they see that and they're, they're afraid of it, but they, and they don't know what to do with it. Cause like, why do they want to be that? Like, but they may not have dreams for themselves. They have not, they may not think about that and they may really be jealous. So you're just like, it's really hard because then they bully and they say mean things but a lot of it is because of jealousy. Yeah, but it's exactly. hard too because the words they hurt. Yeah, and you know, just you know, I was always writing um, in my little journal and reading, and you know, I always like stay to myself, you know, because you know, I just love being in my own little imagination. <laughs> me too. I get it. I get it. Believe me, I spent a lot of time, especially in high school, in the library at lunchtime. Like I had friends that I'd go, but I just like to be by myself some and like let my imagination and read. And I liked sitting in the corner of the school library, reading a book between classes and not having to work on homework or something. Yep. That was me. That was me in the library. (laughs) I feel you. That was me too. I totally, I totally get, I was the only kid in there at lunch, like reading, but uh, that was, that's where I hung out. And I would go, you know, I'd go see my friends some or whatever, but I was kind of like, I just need to be by myself right now in my own imagination. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, 
always in with the awards <laughs> for accelerated reader like that was like the top thing like i was always you reading. had to get those prizes right yeah you know, i want that, to like the prize <laughs> cabinet and go shop in the prize store those that was really that's really cool and that's a good incentive to get kids reading because some kids they don't know how much they will love reading it before like until they start yeah it only starts with one book and then you're hooked <laughs> Yeah, I loved in elementary school how my teachers in different classes would have like reading nooks, like bean bags and curtains, and it was a little a little reading nook, and they had a little shelf with books and stuff. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah, it sounds kind of nerdy now, but I just liked a little being by yourself, cozy and reading. Like that just All makes right. me happy, right? Well, I don't understand <laughs> that. It makes me happy. Yeah, I know. I you're, I you're thinking about nook. it right now, right now, yeah. right? <laughs> I, I want a reading nook in my room right now, like. We should, we should, we should, we should make a reading nook with bean bags and stuff. Exactly. You're, you're giving Why not? me ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, I, I know mainly, you know, she was really insecure about her writing abilities, you know, in the beginning of the story, um, you know, she felt like a failure, you know, especially, um, you know, when she had to go with that little contest. Well, she felt like she had, a, she was competing with Raina, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, as a writer, when you have days like that, you know, how do you encourage yourself to keep writing? Well, it, it, it's hard. And, and honestly, the best thing is just to tell yourself that it's going to be okay, even if you don't believe it, and that every single writer, even the ones on the bestseller list, have had days and moments just like that, and they still do. And to know you're not alone because you're going to feel like that. You're going to feel like, because I've read so many interviews with like best-selling authors, like the prolific authors, like Stephen King and John Gresham and all the ones who have written so many bestsellers, they still think their next book's about to be the flop or the failure, whatever they just wrote is going to be horrible. And then it ends up being their bestseller. They just, it's just that the fragile, the fragile nature of our egos and our self-confidence and things especially when it comes to creative things because creative things are so personal I feel like even if you have everybody telling you like this is amazing like oh my gosh this is like the best thing I've ever read you're just like hmm I don't know what have you read <laughs> you know? right what do you have to compare to yeah, but at the same time, I feel like to create, if you don't have yourself wrapped into it some way emotionally, then it's not your best work. I agree. I agree. So, but that's hard because because your tank your your emotion is tangled in it. You're in uh yeah. So like with Maylee, um, going into one of your questions, <laughs> um, you asked a question about uh on our the ones you sent me how Maylee is maybe similar to me or how she's different. Right. Well, I feel like with our characters, we always put something of us in it, and not not necessarily because some characters at first might seem like antagonists some books are like that you know but they're but then they have this you know big journey ahead but we always put something whether it's an insecurity a flaw a, a pro something with Maylee I feel like um it's a curiosity like curious, like she doesn't realize she's that curious about the rest of the world she kind of sees her town and her life kind of where it is and that's where the, her world is or just the, her small world but until you really open yourself up to not only just if you can't physically travel, which we haven't been able to physically travel for, a, for you know, for a well over yeah, a year, even if, yep, even if we could, we couldn't, <laughs> but people like, you know, if you can't afford to travel, even just expanding your mind through reading and through speaking with other people that are different than you, maybe of different age of you or different nationality than you, you know, and I think just opening yourself up to that there's a curiosity and there's a, you know, you grow as a person. And I feel like with Maylee, when I was a kid, I had around me, I was in a small little bubble world, a small, small town. I grew up in a very small town in a rural community and nobody around me was like traveling to other countries or speaking other languages. I didn't have a very diverse um, group of people around me or um, it was just a very small, small, close-knit community. And so all of that want me wanting to look at maps and globes and read about other languages and other cultures and things like sometimes it's just born in you and I feel like in this case like it was a God-born thing inside me to to want to um, learn about other cultures and other people but also I feel like at the heart of it was compassion too that God was wanting to show me compassion on others and if you and if you stay in your own little bubble world 
it can close you from not only meet, not meeting some amazing people and having amazing experiences, but it also can close you off from really being compassionate to other people and getting to know their people. I and agree. so until I was able to really go somewhere else or start anyone when I went to college, like meeting other people of different cultures and different places and cities and towns and other states and countries, it really opened my eyes and my heart to the rest of the world. And really, so I really, you know, traveled, traveling and being friends with other people from, from different countries. You just see that we all bleed. We're all the same. We all feel the same emotions. It doesn't matter what our background is, what our skin color is, what our, uh, you know, our status is with, um, you know, wealth or poverty. And like, we all want to, we all bring value to the world. We all bring a story to the world. And that's important. Yes, I agree. Um, You know, I want to travel more. I've always wanted to travel, but you know, since I, you know, I live in a small town as well. So, you know, um, I think that, you know, just books was the way I traveled, you know, in my mind. Um, you know, just to, like, I love fantasy. I love science fiction. Um, so I definitely, you know, get, went into that world and, uh, you know, escaped. And that's really cool because, you know, you physically can't go to that world, but you can in the books. And I think that's so cool about some of the worlds that authors have built that don't exist out in, in real and in physical world. And then they, and they've created these, they, this world building they've done that's so vivid that you feel like you could go travel there. And I think right. that's just so amazing about about authors' imaginations that they can create on that kind of level where it's not a completely fictional place, but you feel like I can get on a plane and go there. <laughs> like, I like I love Chronicles of Narnia. I think that's like I was thinking the, about that. Yes, I love like, that too. Oh my god, I wanted to go to I wanted to go in a closet and just like yeah. please oh, transport yeah. <laughs> me. <laughs> oh my gosh, you have to read the Maylie's Maylie's Look of the Irish. I'm just gonna say you have okay. to read it. It references a line, the line which in the wardrobe. Okay. That's good. In, I love that. In each book, I I've got to teach kids something without them knowing. And and adults too. We can learn, exactly. you know, we learn, yes, everybody we keeps learn. learning. So in <laughs> if you noticed in Maylie in the Maze. Um, within the storyline you learned about England you learned about mm-hmm. uh, some of their vocabulary even though they speak English they have completely different words than, with, uh, than us about you know several things and it kind of was funny to Maylee but she also you know was like this is really interesting and neat but mm-hmm. she, you know she didn't like know fish that and chips and yeah and what balloons. that is yeah exactly and so and then also her experiencing like learning about castles and uh, geography and classic literature because in the first book she's reading her aunt gives her a classic literature book like a book to read classic book to read right which was Peter Pan and she gets a little guidebook a a kid's guidebook for England and so in each book of the series she's going to go to a different country that I've been to and she's going to get a different classic literature book the second book that just came out Wednesday Maylie's Luck of the Irish is set in Ireland (laughs) obvious set in Ireland and the book she's going to be reading is is uh, The Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe oh nice nice so yeah you definitely need to read the next one because I like to and I love to drop little easter eggs in there about stuff and so she definitely drops some little easter eggs with um with the book she's reading oh I love it I love it I can't wait you to can, read that I one I think you can tell I'm having fun with this right like yeah. easter eggs and stuff and I love it and I, I'm, I can't wait I'm yeah yay I can't wait to read it either um so yeah I just love writing books that I would have loved as a kid and I love now yeah, I mean, I think that's very important for, you know, for kids and adults to really um, just expand their imagination. And, you know, uh, just because uh, people love movies because like Gardens of the Galaxy, I love that sh- that movie, you know, because it expands my mind and I'm like, oh, I can go into space. And, you know, it's just like, I just love reading. Reading is awesome. It just takes you into another world. <laughs> yeah, it's, it literally does. And especially when we're, not, we're in our cozy corners. Yes. <laughs> gotta get our cozy reading corners exactly um and you know I think movies are just like stories you know on screen um so that's why I'm, I'm a big uh, movie buff and so um I love watching movies um and so you know I know writing it can be pretty difficult um you know yeah, I'm still writing a book and it's been I've been trying to write it since I was 16 uh, <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, what keep is going, your biggest- Keep going, keep <laughs> going. I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. Uh, what was your biggest obstacle to overcome in your writing journey? Hmm. I think, well, the best advice I've ever heard was just sit in your, sit your butt in the chair and write <laughs> because we, we are our own worst enemy a lot of times because thankfully writing does not require us to monetarily buy something outside of a notebook and a pen. And we all have that lying around. So yep. that's the cool thing is it's, it's something that we can pursue very easily, but you have to actually do it. And I actually write um, mostly on paper and then I type it up later so mailing the maze books are written in just black and white composition notebooks with a pen that's what I do too yeah and it's something about like physically writing something it helps my mental processes work better so I'd say too if you're writing strictly on on your laptop or your computer we stare at stare at screens sorry sorry over we stare at screens so much every day I feel like our brain can kind of disconnect and so if you feel like you're stuck and you're just not sure like you can't write you feel like you have writer's block or whatever I would say go to the coffee shop get somewhere by yourself would you just you your mind your notebook and a pen and maybe put some headphones in and listen to like some instrumental music I have to listen to music with no words or I get distracted because it's words right exactly (laughs) and just try to get in your own your own characters like be in their world pretend you're a person in the world of the story that you're writing whether you know that you're maybe your character is sitting in a restaurant and you're a table over in your mind you know look what are they doing what you know and and being a journalist we are very observant because we have to be observant with people we're interviewing and people and surroundings and what stories we might see around us so I think observation is key too like when you're somewhere you know just kind of observe don't stare at people please (laughs) (laughs) yeah don't don't make it weird Yeah. yeah don't make it weird but just and don't be like eavesdropping on purpose sometimes you can't help but eavesdrop but yeah just be observant and also I think that's a good life lesson in general because sometimes you won't see the needs around you if you're not observant you're just kind of wrapped in your own little world too but like to be a good we gotta you gotta reach out to people well and to be able to write a realistic flawed character you have to know the different flaws out there you have to you know explore your own other people talk to people hear what they're talking about like like I said don't purposely eavesdrop it if you hear someone talking about something the next table over right beside you you can't help it here you know yeah and just you like you know yeah. yeah yeah I like that I like that you know just getting to the minds of others you know it's kind of like a psychological thing but you know you can you can just being around other people just being around you know you know, in school or, you know, in your work, you can, you can pick up people's flaws. If you, if you really look at, you know, look at people and really listen and try to understand them, you can uh, understand what their flaws are. Yeah. And you can see too, you know, like I said, what the needs are, like what people are struggling with. And it may be something that you can help with, or just that you can know to maybe bring into your writing that because reading stories can, is, can be very helpful they can be very healing they can be very comforting they can even help you question and deal with things that are happening in your own life um like like in just and you know and there's obviously some books that are dealing with some harder hitting subjects like suicide and things and these are children's books um but then there's always a place for even the smaller things because to kids everything that happens is big yeah. Whether whether it's them getting called a bad name or someone dying in their family, to them it's all it's all big. It's all big emotions and big things happening. And so it's you know it's not to to weigh out like this is this is worse than this kind of thing. To you know they just kind of deal with it all in the same kind of process as it feels. Um, but with Maylee specifically, I wanted kids you know to see Maylee struggling with her dream. Like she dreams to be an author, but she's never finished a story. And that is yeah. hard hitting because you, if you don't finish a story, you can't move on to become an author and be yeah. published if you didn't finish something. And so I think that's, oh, that's hard for all of us to start things and not finish or to in the middle of something feel like this is horrible or I just can't do this. Or maybe one discouraging thing said, or maybe you enter a contest and you get bad feedback or you don't place at all. Like you just, it, it just deflates you. And that's when you really have to push forward because I feel like everything in life 
is it's going to take some hard work and some and some determination, whether it's finishing school or, you know, doing creating a painting or anything like you've got to keep going, even when you hit a snag somewhere and you're probably going to hit a snag. Yeah. <laughs> Failure is inevitable. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it's not and it's something, you know, that we're all afraid of. But at the same time, you know, it's a healthy fear. You know, it's a healthy fear, but we can't let it be a disabilitating fear. Because exactly. just being scared of something shouldn't keep us from doing it. And that's what's hard is that we think we're, oh, well, failure's right there and I'm probably going to fail. So why would I even try? If we all had that attitude, nothing amazing would happen. Because some, some of the most amazing things in history or in the world, like inventions and stuff, they would have never happened if someone said, well, I'm, I'm probably going to fail. And they try it and they fail. And they said, okay, I'm giving up. I mean, I right. think, I think, I think it was Thomas Edison with a light bulb. It took like, I think the quote is something like it took, it took him like 80 something times to, to figure out how many ways not to make a light bulb, but it only took once to know how to do it. It was something like exactly. that. I'm, I'm yeah. butchering the quote, but it was something <laughs> like that. And I'm pretty sure it was with Thomas Edison, the light bulb. But anyway, the point is if he would have quit at failure two, 10, 15, 55, he wouldn't have just, he wouldn't have, you know, invented the light bulb. Exactly. Someone else that. probably would have, but it would have, may have been, you know, who knows when and who knows how, you know? So it's just like, you never know, you know, what the next try will bring and maybe reevaluate and do things a little bit differently, but don't give up I agree. and try to surround yourself with positive, with positive people because people that are just bringing you down about something, they're not going to help. Because nope. you're having to overcome all of that and overcome your own self issues with saying, I can't do this, or I'm not good enough at this, or I'll never be good enough. Yeah, we're our, we're our own worst enemies. And we, you know, it's so hard. Yeah, I struggle with that, too. You know, just thinking, oh, it's not good enough. But, you know, I, I've got, you know, being a part of writing groups, people, you know, other writers, it helps, you know, just to uh, surround yourself with people that do the same thing you do and are passionate about. And that we encourage you to be like, okay, I can do this. If they can do it, I can do it. You and know? and just, you have to embrace too that the first thing you write, or maybe the first few things you write are probably not going to be very good, but that's okay because you've got something to build on. Because the first thing is to prove to yourself that you actually wrote a novel or a story or whatever it is. If you can prove to yourself that you did it, even if it's maybe the worst story out there, that's okay because look you did it which means you can write another one that's better and keep going and it's and it is a it is a growth thing with writing especially you're not just born like writing a perfect draft yeah (laughs) especially when you first start out like I know some authors later on like when they've written like dozens of drafts their first draft can look pretty pretty clean but it that's not how they started that's not realistic Mm -mm. no it's always going to be something that you know needs to be worked on yeah and, and and you want it to be better and so you want to challenge yourself to write better and not just sat, sat like be satisfied like be satisfied with it it's okay you know right you know because uh you know I did my first draft like 16 when I was 16 and you know uh, I I went to NaNoWriMo in like 2018 and I finished the draft I finished everything and then I'm now looking back at it you know through the year, you know, it's been two, two or three years and, you know, I'm, I'm building on it, you know, so you have to, you know, and then you grow it as a person, you, you start adding things to it. Um, so I think that, you know, it really is a good thing to really reevaluate what you're doing. And if you don't like it, then make it better. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And sometimes you need to just, if you finish something, so congrats on finishing something, you finished something. Yeah, That's awesome. And, and celebrate that. But then what you should do is put it away for a little while. It might be five days, two weeks, because the thing is you need to look at it with fresh eyes again, because after you finish writing it, you're probably thinking like, this is the best thing. Like, yeah, I finished it. This is amazing. But you're going to want to go back and edit and refine and revise. The revision process is really important. And so, but you want time. You have to have time to kind of let it sit away from you and then pick it back up. And then you can see, you can, you can start seeing the flaws and the things that you can improve on. Yeah, I agree. That's one of my biggest tips is to, is to, when you finish something, 
you know, uh, you want to put it aside for at least probably four or five days or more and then get back to it and have fresh eyes to look at it and be like, okay, now I'm going to seriously look at this and I am going to see flaws, but I'm going to see how to make this stronger. Yeah, I think um, I might have to do that because uh, I've been working on it even with my writing group. And uh, so, you know, I think it's really good, uh, but, you know, I think it, I'm adding stuff to it. So, you know, I think just maybe a week of not looking at yeah, it. It really helps at least five days or so. Mm-hmm. It really helps me to do that. And honestly, too, if, you know, you might even just like set aside for about a week and, and like work on something else, even like something completely different and then get back to it, you know, just to have a little mental break can help you really, because it's hard for us sometimes to be our own editors and stuff. But if you kind of put it aside for a little while, then your brain kind of like refreshes itself and it looks at it again, it can look at it more subjectively. Because if after we write it, we just feel so elated that we finished. Like, oh my gosh, it's done. It's going to be amazing. Well, it is amazing because you finished it, but it probably needs quite a bit of revising. And yeah. that's just part of the writing process. Because I think most writers, they like to say they do more revising than writing, which just sounds scary. Because um, the writing is such a huge part, we think. But it, the revision is what is what takes that and really molds it, like really refines it. Yeah, it's like a sculpture, you know. Yeah, you a sculpture. Oh, it looks good, but you know, he needs. Then you start. Physical. Then you start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You start drawing the details and like those super detailed sculptures and things. Like you're like, this looks real, like real life stuff. Those were refining, refining, and looking at different angles and and testing areas, and that's kind of you know, and that and being in writing groups and stuff is great, and um, and just being, you know, reading a lot, obviously, too. The yes. more you read in the genre you're writing, the more you can start seeing the trends and things of what makes their writing on the, uh, like, popular. And it's not exactly. copying someone. It's just certain genres have certain trends that they follow and structures and stuff. And the more you read in that genre, the more you realize, like, oh, okay, you start seeing, like, they did this this way. And they this other author did a little differently, but they still kept the same kind of structure. And that really can help too, but you do have to be well read in your genre to kind of start picking up on that. Exactly. I think that I need to read. Well, I've always read fantasy books, but you know, it's always good to, you know, get a fresh perspective on another person, you know, another author. So yeah. And, and, and if you're going to be querying literary agents, like trying to literary agent and try to get a publisher, you need to know the top books in your genre. You need to know the mega sellers and the ones that are not quite mega, mega sellers and know why. Because when, when you bring your book to an agent, you need to be able to tell them like this, you know, this is what I have. Um, I feel like it's a mix of this and this, but it definitely fits within you got it fits in with the market. Yeah, that's a good that's a good advice, because, you know, I want to do that as well. So yeah, thank you for that, Morgan. You're welcome. Uh, well, and the thing is, I was gonna say with agents and publishers, they're not that they don't care about awesome books, but they're in it to make a profit, to market and be able to sell a book. And so that's the forefront of their mind is how can I sell this? Does it have a spot in the market that it's gonna be competitive? So you've got to think like that too. You've got to think from a business perspective. And that was hard for me at first because we're so creative. It's like, I created this awesome book and it's awesome and you should love it. Well, yeah, that's true, but it could be an amazing book that's not a fit for the agent or not a fit for the market at the moment. Right, right. It's just this big, like it's this big game like that. And, the, and, it, and it can change. The trends and stuff can change. And that's, and that's the hard part about wanting to become published um, is just that whole game. But, it, but you do have to keep it in mind. And it just so just know, like, you need, you need to know what the top books in your genre are and you need to read those books and be familiar with them um, as well as the ones maybe not as not you know the lesser known authors in the genre as well good advice I love it I love it um and I know that you're a journalist as well you know how did you what did you what did you want to how did you make that transition you know basically from journalism into you know you wanted to be a full-time author or a part-time author I'm not sure which one you are (laughs) Um, I feel like a full-time journalist and a full-time author most of the time because um, I, I literally worked two jobs, but it was kind of a reversal thing. Like when I was a kid, I always loved to write, but I would I would write little fiction stories and make up things, but I would also write in journals, like I said, in diaries, and I would write real life observations. So I realized that in my kid, my diaries when I was a kid, I was writing like 
this person said this or this happened. I was being a journalist as a kid in my diaries. I was quoting people and I was talking about things that happened. And I was like, that's so funny. So when I was in high school and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, like I knew I wanted to go to college, but I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. I was kind of thinking journalism or pre-law. And then I was like, I really, I mean, I want to write and I would love to be an author, but I feel like I need an actual career path, you know, um, that I can do. And so I was like, okay, well, I love, you know, writing. I love documenting things and interviewing people and stuff. I just feel like that's a natural type thing. And um, so that's when I went in journalism and I really enjoyed it. And that allowed me to have my career out of, out of college working for a newspaper. And then photography was just a hobby. And then with the newspaper, they needed a photographer as well. So I did that, already did that as a hobby. I, I don't have any professional training with that, but I do um, sports photography and um, feature photography. I do any kind of photography really at my job, awesome. but I, I had to learn sports photography. <laughs> that was a learning curve for sure. But I shoot football, baseball, softball, and basketball. I love it. Um, I think that's incredible. You know, I've, I'm in sports journalism as well. Of course, you know that. Um, and you know, you, it's hard to do action shots. <laughs> I, I, I always like, it's hard. You got to get those money shots, those few money shots you need. And the rest is lanyard. You're like, Whew, okay, I got I that I got dunk shot, shot or I got that like touchdown or, you know, I got that catch right before it's in the mitt kind of thing. Right. Oh, I can breathe now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, and thankfully I don't have to do any sports writing just outside of captions with the pictures because I, I'm not, I'm not a sports like. I don't know all the right lingos and I don't, I'm not, and I really don't know about all the plays and things. So I would not be the one to write it up. Thankfully we do have, um, we do have guys that write up our, for the yeah. like sports our articles and stuff for our paper. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I do remember. the pictures. So I have had to like learn where the plays are probably going to be and stuff and like have to guess, you know, so I know where the shot's going to be. So I'll be like ready. And I, I've, I've kind of gotten that, you know, over the years, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely it's been different. It is a process. And the ball, I mean, especially when you get to baseball, the ball is so small and it's so fast. <laughs> yeah. So like football, you have one big ball. It's still hard, but it's not as hard. Then you have basketball. That's a pretty big ball and it's a right. smaller, smaller area. But then when you get to softball and baseball, so you baseball, you're like, oh my gosh, where's the ball? And it can, I need to get it in the shot where is it <laughs> right I need to find it where is it yeah first let me just find it because you got a zoom lens on you're like where's the ball who's got the ball <laughs> so, that's hilarious because yeah, of course that's... you know for that money shot we want the ball in the picture and the action that's exactly. where the action is the ball is so right yeah that's I, it's good to you know get that perspective because um you know I do the writing part so <laughs> I, I don't really um I do the um you know I really haven't I got to do the video part. Really, I just do the interviews and stuff like that, but I've never had to, it's good to, you know, just get a, another perspective as far, as far as photography. Um, that's, that's a funny story. That's cool. Well, and I have <laughs> interviewed sports stars and like sports players and stuff like athletes. So I have done that. And in our area, we have some, some famous athletes. So I have done some of that, but writing about a game, you wouldn't want me to do that. It would just not be very riveting. You'd be like, uh, they call let my picture, let my picture speak a thousand words. That's all right. I can say. <laughs> hey, that's it. That's good enough. Um, and I know that you, you know, you are a sports enthusiast, um, and you've been involved in, in a lot of sports, uh, fencing <laughs> and boxing. Um, I've never done any, well, I've done, uh, boxing, but I've never done fencing. Um, you know, as an amateur boxer, how did you get involved in that? Well, okay, this goes back to Maylee. So Maylee and, and her having new experiences and that being just an exciting thing. I love new experiences. I love trying new things. Even if I don't really like it, I just like, I don't know until I try it. So I, and, and I'm not like, I'm not going to lie and say I'm a good athlete, but I'm a decent athlete. I grew up playing sports, basketball, softball. You know, I grew up playing sports. It's just, I'm mediocre. You know, I'm not bad at it, but I'm also, so I guess if you're picking a team, I wouldn't be the first pick, nor I'd be the last, be somewhere in the middle. <laughs> You'll be in so, there though. You'll be on I'd the be team. somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And I've and in college, I played like every inter, intramural sport at Louisiana Tech they had. I was like quarterback of the flag football team and played basketball, soccer soccer softball that is awesome <laughs> it's just it's just fun and I like being active and like playing sports like for like active lifestyle yeah it's good soccer. for you 
Yeah, it is. Well, boxing. So back to boxing. Well, I had never done boxing and it happened to be someone in the town, um, in the area where I, where I live and work, they had started a boxing club and they were just doing lessons and stuff. I was like, you know, that sounds like good exercise. I'll just go learn how to box. Well, like anything I do, <laughs> I end up going in 110% to try it and I give it my all. And I may not stick with it because it's not for, it ends up not being for me, but I know I gave it my all when I was doing it. So I like trained as an amateur boxer for like four and a half, five months. And I actually competed in like two different bouts. Oh, really? In like Lafayette, Lafayette and near Baton Rouge. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you win? And I sparred. No. <laughs> Did not win. Like I said, mediocre athlete here. Not the worst, but definitely not the best. But I did it. Yeah, I did that's, it. that's and, an accomplishment. Uh, oh, gosh. One girl that I had to quote fight, she was, she was probably almost a head taller than me. And she looked tough, man. Oh, Lord. I, even like the the man that was like helping like was about to help us in the ring he's like you're brave you're brave like oh, I was no. like I was like I signed up for this and I'm not gonna quit I'm not a quitter so I got in there and I hung the best I could with it but man it was it was tough because even the men were like man she's something like I wouldn't oh, want to fight her the guys were afraid of her yeah they were and I was like Oh gosh what did I get and she was cool like team? after we were like you know we like hit mitts and we're like uh like boxing gloves or hit gloves and it was like you know cool you know it's fine <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that so that lasted about five months and uh then I was done with boxing because I was like I think it was the time when I got a well I in one of my sparring matches I uh bursted a girl's lip like like I busted her lip and it was bleeding and she had hit me in the eye and like gave me a black eye and I had to like cover it with makeup to go to work the next day like heavily which felt really weird <laughs> but I, I told know. everybody look I, this is a black eye from boxing I'm not gonna lie it's not about don't worry it's not no one else is hurting me or anything it's by choice <laughs> boxing just letting you know but I am wearing a lot of makeup right now to cover this up oh my god when I think when I when I actually drew blood on somebody and then then I got you know she hit me in the eye too she was a left she was a southpaw so she was a lefty and that those are really tough to fight I'm not a left-handed person I was like you know I don't really like making someone bleed and I, I just don't think this is for me right so I'm gonna bow out yeah <laughs> but I, did, I never yes. I never yeah I never quit a fight or anything like I never quit a fight or a match or anything um but yeah so I was like you know what I've I'm glad I poured myself into this to try it, you know, and it was good exercise and I met some awesome people, had a great experience, but I was like, I'm, you know, just, it's just not for me. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough. Boxing is like one of the toughest sports, you know, it, to get into. it is. I mean, you're physically literally punching people in the face, like in the yeah. head. Right. And that's, it's hard because it, you know, it, uh, it's not super, it is, it's more rare that you have someone get really seriously hurt, but you can. Yeah, and that's, I think that's hard too mentally because you're like I've got to go in there to like Basically hit this person to win <laughs> yeah and um I will say this when when I was like one of only two girls in the boxing club so it was mostly guys so I got to spar with guys most of the time and it was kind of fun beating up on guys because they couldn't yeah. really hit you full blast you know or anything but right some of, them, <laughs> some of their hits kind of got hard but I was like punching them back <laughs> Yeah, it feels kind of powerful. It's kind of empowering because I it I is wrestling this guy, and I had to like basically, you know, basically wrestle him until like I could, you know, get out of it, and yeah. I won, and I ah. pushed him over. It was so empowering. I was like, yay! Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it's a girl power moment. It's like I think it is. Power. Power I got moment. boxing gloves on, and yeah. <laughs> I yeah, don't know. I, I can kick butt. <laughs> I think we all go through phases of I, I don't know. Maybe it was just a phase I was going through, but I, but I have taken karate like in self-defense and stuff too. I took karate I as a kid. A woman. Yeah. Oh, I think it's very important, um, for a woman and, and I think, and like growing up, like one of my funniest memories with sports is karate when I was five and I had this, uh, little boy who was five too. And he was a friend of my mom, like my mom's friend. So we grew up together like by five at age five and two is my boyfriend or whatever we called each other. Oh. I don't know, you know? Anyway, we had to spar and we had like all the like the, the karate sparring like pads and stuff. I beat the mess out of him. <laughs> uh, and I was like, kidding. I was like so fast. 
and after that I don't I, I don't think he talks to me oh no <laughs> And I'm our, done. our friendship is or when over. we had the when or when we had the play dates going on it was kind of a little leery for a little while at least I don't remember much of it but I do remember that and I was like five almost six and my mom was like hmm well well that's the don't work. mess with you <laughs> just funny that, things that is cute that is so cute and I know that you like to sing and, and act you know I know that's a another passion of yours um what what was your favorite play to perform in Oh, Still Magnolias. Oh, that's a good movie. That was, yeah, we did um, part, I'm part of a local small community theater group and I did like, I think about five plays and like some musical reviews with them. And uh, Still Magnolias, I was cast as Shelby, which is Julia Roberts' part in the movie. I was like, oh my, this is a big part. Like Julia Roberts, you know, big part in the movie. And she also has like, you know, her episode where um, her diabetes, like she has insulin and she's having um, like a, she's having like a, um, what do you call it? Like a an episode pretty much like her body was like shutting down and reacting um, and then insulin and stuff. And uh, sorry, I don't remember the medical term. <laughs> I'm so bad with medical term. Anyway, uh, I had epileptic? to like act that. Maybe she was epileptic. Epileptic. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's like um anyway, she was it's it, she was having an episode where she was like writhing around and she couldn't, you know, her her body was just fighting. It was just uh, shutting down. And so I had to act that out on stage. Oh. And I was really scared of that scene because I was like you have to nail it to make it believable. Like it has to. So the, the thing is, I knew I'd nailed it when after like our opening night, my mom came up to me, congratulated me and said, I didn't like that scene at all. It was too real. I wanted to get up and help you because I was so sad to see my baby like hurt and sick. Aww. And I was like, well, that means I did a good job, mom. Yeah, you because did. you did. You did. <laughs> I was also wearing a horrible like 80s outfit and an awful wig too, which was hilarious. But oh, anyway. Gosh, I hope you have that on tape. We we do. Yeah, we have we have it on video. But yeah, that was like that was a real general, but I think like that was challenging, but I think the most challenging one I had was actually when I had to be on a wheelchair on stage. Oh my goodness. Like the whole time I was in a wheelchair. Um so I did some comedies before that. And the comedies there's room for error, literally. There's room yeah. for error because you can ad lib stuff and I love doing that too. But there's with your lines and with your delivery and stuff, like you have a little more leeway, but with when it comes to like the dramas and stuff, like so this was a drama and it was like a a murder had happened and they didn't know who did it and all this stuff. And I was like this um, victim. I was playing a victim in a wheelchair. I would been in a car accident. My, mom, my mother had been killed and I was bound to the wheelchair and was really bitter and cynical and just really down. It was really mm. dark to, to have to go to those places to get into character. Yeah, I can't imagine. I felt really drained. In that dark place. I know you have, but see, once again, as a, as an author, your imagination, you had to take that character. And I feel like as an author, you need to get inside your character in a way where you're thinking, if I was that character sitting right here, how would I see the world? How would I feel things? How would I, I would, what in my past is affecting my present? And, and I had to do that with characters, just like an actor, an actor does. So you have to think about, okay, what are, what is this character? What's their background story? What's their, you're asking yourself questions, you know, what makes them tick? What, what would they do to react to this? And I just kind of get myself in that deep, dark, like she's bitter. She's, she's mad. Like I had to get myself just like feeling that. And so after practice every, like when we had practice, I would just, I felt drained, but big surprise I ended up being the murderer the whole time and I wasn't in a wheelchair like I wasn't paralyzed oh I was pretending so the the coolest part which was horrifying actually was the very end of the play was I had to it all got revealed because I was like this heiress and my mother was very very wealthy and rich and I was inheriting I was the sole inherit like person that inherited all her money and I, of course, was just playing the victim of, like, my mother was killed. Well, actually, I was the one driving the car. My character was, and she purposely drove off the road to get, to hopefully, it would kill her mother. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it was goodness. intense. Yeah, so I was like, okay, all right. But, you know, as an actor, challenging roles, like, really just test you. They do, and it's really exciting because you're like, I got to pull this off, or it's going to just sink. It's going to fail. So at the, the very end of the play, when it all came to light that I was the one that actually killed my mother and everything, 
they like kicked me out of my wheelchair because they knew I wasn't really paralyzed and I like was dragging myself across the stage trying to pretend like I was still paralyzed and I was like shouting and screaming and like it was horrible but like apparently it was believable because my mom was like after she watched that she was like that was I didn't like the end it was scary you were scary and I was like good that means the deranged psycho like psycho person that I was playing the character of worked right it was all worth the effort that's good I'm glad that you enjoyed that yeah, and I was going to say this too. So another thing about having new experiences and different hobbies and stuff, that allows you to not only meet different people and have different experiences, but you can bring all that to your writing. Because as an author, you're usually not just going to write about what you know. You're not going to write about just a journalist. You know, every book's about a journalist. Unless you're writing a series, you might write about a journalist who's the main character. But like, right. or you're not going to write about an author, you know, that you can still do that. But you're going to write about people with different professions, like a firefighter, teacher, a scientist. And you may know nothing about that. That's where research comes in and interviewing people who are scientists or who are astronauts astronauts or who are teachers and so you these different experiences you have even if it's just temporarily they may help they, they will help bring that character to life so say you want to write a, this story and you know a firefighter has to be the main character you need to go volunteer at the fire department or go talk to the local fire department and say hey can I just come come shadow y'all for a day I'm, I'm writing this book and I really want to get into the mindset of how my character reacts Don't be scared to do that because that's what helps bring the characters to life when you don't actually have direct experience with that profession or that situation. That is a great idea. I love that. I think that's really good advice for writing, you know, and it puts you in a different, you know, perspective in a different world. So where when you do start writing, you'd be like, okay, I know how to, how that, that yeah, and, and you can put that persona on, you can put that character on as the actor, you know, be like, okay, if I was this character, if this happened, like if suddenly, like say the firefighter thing, if suddenly I'm, I'm just driving my car down the street and I'm going to the grocery store, but then there's a fire that's next door. Like I'm not in my suit, my suit, my gear. What am I going to do? You know? So it's just that whole, what if, and then you, you kind of have to, you know, um, ask you know then you can really ask a firefighter like if that was the situation what would you do what do you think you would do oh good. and as a journalist you can bring that to your writing too because we're not scared to ask pe- random people questions no we're not that's <laughs> our job our job is literally to talk to strangers yeah to ask questions of strangers and so that really helps I think as an author because you really get your best information from like asking people you know what do you think and like what how would you react to this exactly i think journalists are the best can be the best writers <laughs> yeah because we're not scared to ask questions <laughs> no no it is scary though it's part it of is. the job though yes <laughs> exactly it is and i've had to ask some random ones and i'm sure you have too to people yeah they'd be like who, who are you <laughs> yeah on college campus it was always like your editor was like for the local paper on campus it was like you know go out there and find like five students and just ask them this question and you're like okay you yes. know. I'll try. Okay. okay. <laughs> then you try to look for people you know. Right. Like <laughs> but it's like it's supposed to be people who don't know. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, you have to, but it gives you that courage. It gives you like you don't even really care anymore. You're like, okay, I'm gonna just ask this question because I really need the information. So Yeah. Well, you and if to. you're if you're like me, and I think you are, like we do like talking to people. I love talking to people. Yeah, like random people, strangers. My husband yeah. is so not like that. So maybe that's how we balance each other out. Because he's like, "Why do you do that? Like how?" And I was like, "I just do it. I'm just myself." Like, right. and I'm, I'm I honestly, curious. I yeah, we're naturally curious, and we want to connect with people. We want a genuine mm-hmm. connection, like, and want them. Like, when you're asking someone a question, like you're wanting to know about them. It's not like we're, as some people, you can't ask a question that seems just like, you know, ask a question without really feeling it. But, you know, like when we ask a question that's part of our nature, it's like, I really want to know about you. I want to know what you think. I want to know what you like. And that's, that's a connection with somebody else because you're not, it's not just about you. It's about somebody else. Exactly. I think that's really important too, to be able to talk to people and, and not, it not just be about you and you connect with people by asking them, you know what do you think about this? What do you like? I care about, and it says like, I care about you and your thoughts and opinions. And we definitely need more of that. I feel like that kind of interaction in the world. We Connectivity. do. Yes. Compassion. And, yep. you know, just really 
genuine understanding love for people and understanding and listening yeah you know really listening to each other i think that's yep. important and not having misconceptions about somebody before you talk to them and say mm-hmm. really ask them and really genuinely want to know you have to be in an open mindset when you're asking those questions to people to you know from a genuine place from a compassionate place people can tell when you're not genuine Oh, yeah. And I think it's hard in journalism, too. There are some interviews that are going to be more difficult. I mean, when you're interviewing someone that if it's, you know, more of a hard news story where someone's like been in a car accident or someone's witnessed a crime or, or, you know, someone's died, you know, which is not a lot of what I do, but I've done some of that. It's, it, it's really hard because you have really emotional people and you're trying to be compassionate, but you're also trying to get the story, too. Right. So it's like being intuitive and observant to, to someone else in that kind of emotional state, I think is important to not only as a journalist, but also that brings the authors up to be able to read someone's emotions and to observe. I think that's important. I love it. I mean, I'm just getting all this knowledge and wisdom. And it's so <laughs> Take what you can, I don't know, whatever you think is, but I feel like we're kindred spirits a bit though. So yeah, I think so too. And uh, I have one last question for you. I know you have a book coming out. Uh, you know, uh, it's called Maylie's Luck of the Irish. And, you know, tell me more, Dee, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I know it's already out. Sure, yeah. Can I read you the back cover synopsis? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it came out Wednesday and it is book two in the Tales of Travel Girl series, as we said. And I'm going to read, read, <laughs> I want to read the back cover copy because it's, you know, we write it, we write it for a reason. Exactly. Let's see. Go into it right now. I thought I had it pulled up. Sorry. One That's second. all good. Okay. Yeah. It's set in Ireland, like I mentioned. And what, of course the title, you know, gives it away, but here's what it's about. So, uh, will fear and unhappiness sink Maylie's trip to Ireland after nearly getting, after nearly getting sent home for her story of revenge against her twin brother, Maylie is determined to not put a toe out of line when her worst fear surfaces and results in a horrible mess Her bad mood spirals further downhill as the unexpected, vibrant green countryside ends up only gray, rainy, and dull. Between the weather and her frown, is there anything to raise Maylie's spirits? Enter a mysterious old man, new friends, her next story, and the musical heart of the Emerald Isle, which just might be enough magic to bring Maylie back her smile, overcome her fear, and offer some fun along the way. I love it. I can't wait to read it. I love Ireland. I always want to visit Ireland because I read another book about Ireland called yeah. luck of the, Ar- luck, the luck of love or love and luck can't remember what oh. it's called but it was so good like you made me want to really visit Ireland because it was such a beautiful place yeah and well and I wanted to really um, capture the essence of what I feel Ireland is like the magic of the culture and the people and the friendliness and the the food and the music and um, just you know the the lighter heartedness I think um, the people of Ireland try to bring to their culture because they, uh, the, if you look at Irish history, they have a very tumultuous past, like very much war torn, even amongst their own people, the Irish people. And so I think in some countries that are, have dealt with civil war within itself for so many decades and years, like a lot of times they try to find something more lighthearted to grab onto, whatever it is, you know, art, culture, music, and um, that can kind of give them comfort too. So yeah, I feel like some of it came out of that, but um, I feel like the musical, magical Ireland that we feel is there is because the people preserve that, and they came together to to create that. I think that is amazing. I love that, you know, it's going from England to Ireland, and, you know, I just can't wait to see what Maylie, what adventure Maylie is going to be doing, um, and I love your books. I'm glad that you're taking people on a different journey, a different world, different country, you know, with each book. So, um, you know, I really thank you for just coming on my show. I really appreciate you. Um, And I've learned so much from you. And I I know everyone else will learn, you know, how to be a better writer, a better person, and a better journalist, if you know, anybody that's in journalism. So thank you so much. I just want to end it with this. Stay brave, stay bold, and stay balling. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you.